The reading this morning is 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 18, on page 1229 of the Church Bibles. So 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Good to be at church with you. My name is Prash. I'm the senior minister, and it's uh, it's great to be with you this morning. We have uh, our monthly newish morning tea across in the chapel hall, uh, in the reception area, and I'd love to see you over there. I'll be there, as I always say. The food is very good at newish morning tea, uh, but also so is the company. So, if you're um, new or newish, you haven't been to one, do come along. If you're sitting next to someone who is, bring them along, and if you're a regular, you can bring them along. Uh, that would be great. Well, this morning we start a few weeks today and then the Sundays of August culminating in Celebration Sunday, which is on August the 28th, where we'll have brunch together after church as a church family, where we just 
remind ourselves of what our vision is for ourselves as a local church in this part of Sydney, um, what we feel God is calling us to do and be, uh, and then I guess it helps us to just reset as we lead into the end of the year and also to think about the future as well. Our vision as a church is to, uh, to be a church made beautiful, diverse and large by the gracious work of Christ. We want to be this church because this is the vision that God paints for his church in Revelation uh, at the end of the Bible. It's where he's taking all things to this great gathering of his people. That's what church is, ultimately, a gathering, which is beautiful, that is, made like Christ, diverse, that is, of all tribes, tongues, and nations, and large, that is, a great multitude beyond number. It's God's vision of the power and the transforming effect of the gospel in this world. And we want our church to be this, because that's what God is doing, and we want to be in line with what God is doing. And to be that kind of church, we've adopted four things that we think the Bible lays out as the common characteristics of God's church. Praying, praying big prayers shaped by the gospel, bringing, bringing our friends to faith, growing, growing especially the young in their devotion to God's word, and fourthly, celebrating together for the glory of Christ. Now the first three are ones that we normally, we speak about quite often in the life of our church, and that is because they're, they're essential, they're part of the daily life of God's people. But the fourth one is perhaps one that we, we don't speak about as much as try to just live out uh, on, a, on a weekly basis, but it is an important one, and I want to spend our time over these weeks reflecting on what this fourth one, celebrating together for the glory of Christ, means and what implications that has for us as a church as we keep going forward. This fourth missional characteristic, as we might call it, is essentially a call to a compelling community life, a life together rather than separate or as individuals. It's a call to a life that is full of joy and celebration and hope rather than despair and pragmatism. It's a life together that is shaped by the Lord Jesus and is for him rather than primarily for ourself. But what does that mean and how do we think about that in through the lens of the Bible? And to help us do that, I'm going to think about five different images the Bible uses to describe the communal life of God's people. Five different images each week and then to try to draw out of those some of the implications for us as God's people together. What is this life together? What does this compelling vision of communal life look like? And today, uh, in John's passage, and you would have picked it up in Pippi's spotlight segment earlier in the service, John picks up one of these images. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. John, in this moment of of great, joyous exaltation, describes the church using this language of family. We are each children of God and, by implication, part of God's family. It's one of the key descriptors of God's people in the New Testament. And it's not just John, it's not just found in this letter, but it's actually, he picks it up from Jesus' own recasting of God's people in the New Testament. So Jesus, this is, um, this is captured in a couple of the Gospels, this is a little interchange, he's in someone's house uh, teaching 
and healing. It's what he was doing early in his ministry. Uh, people come to him and say, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside. They want to see you. Uh, Jesus, in, in, a, in a slightly enigmatic way, says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And he recasts so the, the, the life of God's people through the lens of family. He could say, whoever does the will of my Father is one of my followers. That would be appropriate. But here he uses the language of family. Because for Jesus, what God is doing is creating his great family. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul, in his New Testament letter to the Ephesians, describes the great plan of God using similar language. He says, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. There's two family words there, adoption and sonship. Yes, we are friends of God. Jesus, in fact, uses that description at times as well for his disciples. We are disciples. We're followers. We are also children, sons, members of God's family as a result of God's great plan. This is what God is doing. He's creating a family. There's been a film that's just come out called Audrey Nanapanka, and this is about an indigenous woman in Alice Springs. Uh, she's there in the middle, if you can see the picture from where you are, and next to her is her husband. Her husband's from Italy. They're a very eccentric couple. They have 30 foster children. The whole story is about this, this very eclectic gathering of people. People love these kind of stories. This is a family that breaks the norm. It goes beyond the nuclear concept of family of two kids and a mum and dad behind a white picket fence. This has got a level of, of complexity to it. We love these kind of stories. And it might be a stretch, you think, to join this vision of family with this vision of family. But the Bible says to us that actually the church has many similarities. What God is creating is a bit like Audrey's family, but a billion times better. He is creating something that's beautiful, where he's shaping and moulding the character and the virtues of people who are otherwise broken and sinful into Christ. He's creating a family that's diverse, that does not come from one nation or socioeconomic group, that, but crosses the bandwidth of those things. And he's creating a large family, a large family. This is our vision, but it's not really our vision. It's God's vision for his church. And this is the kind of family that he's trying to create. And we want to be a glimpse of this. We want to be a glimpse of it. This is very different, I guess. Once you start to think about this language, you realise it's very different to the language of other groups other community groups, which all function and serve good purposes and ends. Many have functioned good purposes and ends. But the church is establishing something of far greater intimacy. It is claiming a space which generally in our culture we feel is only reserved to a particular biological group. But the church is opening the door to that kind of intimacy to each and every person, should they choose it. So the question then is, if we are a family, and if this is one of the lenses through which the Bible looks at 
church. What does this mean? What are the implications for it? And of course, that is exactly what John is spending his time in this part of his letter um, drawing out for us. He says, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another, verse 11. And then verse 18, the last verse that we had read for us this morning, he goes on and says, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. John says, and if you come from a dysfunctional family, this is not almost, this is not intuitive, but if you come from a functional one, much more so. If we are family, we are to love one another. We are to love one another. And then he drives it home. It's not just words, it's not just the affirming of a principle. I'm not sure if anyone would not affirm the principle to love one another, but John says it's more than words, it is more than a principle, it must be seen in action. And in truth, in sincerity, in other words, with great conviction, it must be lived out and acted out. Now, if you have been getting our weekly emails, for the last few weeks we've been just mulling over this, this concept because the idea of one anotherness in the New Testament is not confined just to John's letter here, but is actually seen throughout all of the New Testament letters. So what does it mean to love one another? Here are some of the examples that arise from the, the New Testament, from the different apostolic writers, which give us much more content. They, they kind of fill out the picture. Paul says in Thessalonians, build one another up. In Colossians, admonish one another. In Ephesians, lovingly speak the truth to one another. In Hebrews, exhort one another and stir one another up to love and good works. In James, James says, pray for one another. In Corinthians, Paul says, care for one another. In Galatians, he says, serve one another. He also says, bear one another's burdens. In the Corinthian, second letter of Corinthians, he says, comfort one another. Peter says in his letter, show hospitality to one another. In the book of Ephesians, later on, Paul will say, be patient with one another and submit to one another. And James closes off his letter, confess our sins to one another. Is a broad spectrum of what it means to love one another. And it has concrete implications. It's lived out. It's one thing to say, I love my church. It's another thing to put it in action. But here, the, the Bible gives us many concrete examples of it, from things you might say to lift someone up, to challenge them, maybe even to rebuke them, to ways you might materially physically and relationally provide for them in order to sustain them or to bring them through a season of hardship, we are called to love one another, to love one another. Now that of course has implications for you in your individual circumstances and the relationships that you have, but what does it mean for us as a church? Like how do we think about that? Uh, I, I've been reflecting that this fourth mission priority celebrating together for the glory of Christ, this togetherness, this compelling vision of communal life is perhaps the thing that we're not that strong on. It's something we need to work on. I think we're very strong on it in the older end of our congregation, but as we graduate down, uh, we graduate out of this. There's a challenge for us. We think, we think uh, as a leadership team, the best place, there is a good place to act. I mean, you can, you can carry this out with one another without structures, of course, and we encourage you to. But in the life of our church, there is a good place for this to happen. Maybe you've been to the beach and you've seen these flags. 
They're put up by the lifesavers. What they say is, if you swim between these two flags, we'll be able to see you. If you get into trouble, we'll be able to help you. Uh, This is probably where you're safest when you're at the beach, right? And this concept of swimming between the flags kind of transfers to the life of our church. We think if you are in a midweek gospel and prayer group, that is where you swim between the flags in terms of care. That's where you know you'll be looked out for. Someone will keep an eye out for you and you will have the opportunity to practice that one another love for other people. This is the place where you will establish repeated ongoing relationships with people, where you will have the time invested in other people, where over time you'll get opportunities to lift them up, to challenge them, to bear their burdens and likewise for them to do that for you as well. Gospel and prayer groups are crucial. They're crucial. Now, of course, you can come to church and just come on a Sunday. You're welcome to do that. But I I guarantee you, you will not receive the kind of love and care that God wants you to in that setting. If you look around, there's probably people in this room you don't know. That's because of the size of our congregation, which is great. But in order to be a large congregation which still cares for one another, we think gospel and prayer groups are crucial crucial, both for you to enact love and to receive it. did a video with two gentlemen, ironically they're not here today, <laughs> uh, they're, they're away this weekend, but here's a video of a couple of people, um, some of them are from our morning congregation and some of them from our evening congregation, uh, have a listen in. Hi, my name's Adam and I'm Stephen and we're in the same gospel and prayer group together on a Wednesday night. Um, hi, I'm Ebony. And I'm Joe, And we're part of the Tuesday Night Gap Group. What encourages me about our Gospel and Pair Group, or Gap, um, is being able to come together with uh, a group of people that we may not get to spend a lot of time with in our lives, but really get to know them really well and form a, a great relationship. Yeah, and I love getting together with a group of guys just to explore life together, unpack the Bible together, and it really helps me with my faith journey to have someone else to wrestle with these things with. And I find the group is a great place to do that and a great place to pray together too about the things that are happening in life. So, um, things we love about Gaff Group, um, I think for me, it's just um, having been a new person at St. Stephen's this year, it's been, yeah, being part of a welcoming community, um, really getting to know people, um, to, yeah, get to know them and their lives as well not just on the um, Sunday morning catch-up or the Sunday night catch-up, but at a deeper level, um, hearing um, yeah, what's been going on in their life and how um, God has been working through each of those situations. And I'm making great friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and what I love about our Gap group is being able to open up God's Word together and to learn together. And what I love in particular is actually learning things that I might not have read from a passage. Uh, I might not have taken from a passage, but um, something that God has actually taught someone else. Yeah, my um, uh, purpose of, I guess, uh, serving our group is to really, um, I guess, provide a place where hospitality uh, allows us to somewhere to come together, to have a bite to eat maybe. Um, um, and I really, I come to the group every week. I make it a priority uh, because I believe that that uh, sense of uh, belonging and togetherness is important through that commitment. Yeah, and I act as a leader for the group, but 
I'm not there to teach. I'm there to really coordinate and facilitate and try and keep the discussion on track, even when uh, Glenn wants to take us in all sorts of directions. Um, so in the sermon tonight, we actually, um, Prash actually talked about enduring in faith, and I've been really encouraged that one of the ways that we do that is as a gap group together um, by showing up every week um, and actually opening God's, uh, God's word up together. Um, and then we serve our gap group by yeah showing up every week. I think just seeing the same people there every week and being able to be that body of Christ to um, yeah be involved in each other's lives is just such a huge blessing. And so when people show up, it's a real yeah real encouragement. Um, and then yeah praying for each other, um, taking turns, bringing snacks, um, and then yeah just participating in the study, being um, yeah willing to ask questions and get involved and answer questions. I mean, just build on each other's knowledge and the love that we all have for God is, yes, yeah, such a blessing. Uh, those four are, uh, are lovely members of our church family, both here in the morning and in the evening. Uh, in our NCLS survey, which we did earlier this year, we got the results back about a month or so ago, and one of the results that was quite interesting is, and encouraging on one level, is that 62% of people have a strong and growing sense of belonging to this church family at St. Stephen's. That's really great. Um, interestingly, that I wonder if that correlates with another stat, which is about 60% of people are involved in a weekly gap group. Uh, if you want to belong to the community, gap groups are a wonderful opportunity to chisel out a set time to invest in the lives of other people. Of course, being on the role for a gap group is not the same as being in the gap group. Uh, and one of the challenges we do have is that we might have actually something more like 75% of people on a roll, but on a week-in, week-out basis, we don't see that number of people actually coming to the groups. And so we really want to encourage you to invest in this ministry. If you've already signed up, that's great. We want you to use this as a great opportunity to love one another and to be loved by one another. Of course, what, what we're talking about and the reason why, I guess, people uh, sign up to a group but then don't turn up is that because... While it sounds great, the reality of church is much more difficult than, than just kind of a, a video with great music in the background and people kind of extolling the virtues of their community. Church is complicated. Even to be in a weekly group requires sacrifice on a weekly basis. There'll be weeks when you're either feeling sick or too tired or too busy. Uh, there'll be constant pressures on your life from not just your biological family, but your work. Uh, there, there'll be challenges to the willingness to share life with these people because they will be difficult people. They will have their own failings and mistakes. They will be incomplete. One writer says, belonging to the church will always increase our obligation and decrease our independence. That's just the reality of it. This is what we're selling. Great product, hey? <laughs> Who joins a group which says, if you join this, we'll increase your obligation and decrease your independence? It's almost the opposite of what we buy into in most of the groups, right? We buy into a group because they'll do something for us and allow us to do whatever we want. That's the ideal. But the church is almost the opposite of that. And yet, I, I want to be upfront about that. This is, what, this is why John must exhort followers to love one another. Because if loving one another was an easy thing to do, we'd already do it. The church is this extraordinary, unique, counter, 
intuitive group of people. But it's a family and it's worth it. In fact, I think it's the best place to be in this life, in God's family. And John's, John's letter, I just want to finish with three things that he says to, to encourage people to, to embrace the, the opportunity to be part of God's family. First of all, when we are in God's family, we get to share in his inheritance. We get to share in his inheritance. Uh, one of my family members was on the board of uh, Acor Stadium, which is Stadium Australia. This was great news because whenever there was something on that I wanted to go to, I could get a ticket to it. The bad news is they're not on the board of Acor Stadium anymore. But what was theirs was mine for this short, glorious period. When you are in God's family, what is his becomes yours. You get to inherit it. And so John will say, we know that we have passed from death to life. The sobering truth, John says, is that the world is a place of death. However good those other groups are that you're part of, however um, encouraging they might be, or however much they serve your needs, the fundamental view of the Bible is that they are all ultimately on a road, on a path marked by a terminal endpoint, which is death. And the extraordinary truth of the church family is that we are not. Why? Not because we have somehow found some, some kind of magic way of living, but because we are part of the family of God of who our older brother is Jesus Christ, who has himself conquered death and now offers to give us what is his, which is life. To be part of the church is to inherit life. Secondly, John says, we get to share in his likeness. The desire to be beautiful, that is to be like Christ, is a ridiculous desire if not for the gospel. But the truth of the Bible is that God's great work is to make his family like their elder brother, the Lord Jesus, to make them and to share in his likeness. And so John says, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. And that means when you go to your gap group, they won't be like Jesus yet. But one day they will be. One day they will be. Because God's great desire for his family is that each of us might grow to become more and more like Christ. Being part of God's family means we get to share in his likeness. Uh, there was a, there's a show on HBO called Succession. It's about a family who there were all the siblings are battling to inherit their father's billion-dollar empire. But the thing that actually emerges out of that is that they ultimately inherit uh, all his kind of, his horrible traits, character traits. That's the thing they really inherit. So if that's who the head of your family is, that's what you become. But Jesus is the head of our family. He's kind and merciful. He's gracious to the weak. He's loving to the poor. He is the Son of God who is holy and just and righteous. And the great messages of the Bible is if you're in God's family, God will make you like him. But also we get to share in his assurance. I think for some of us, one of the things that makes us disconnect from church is the high vision of church that we have, actually. 
We say, I can't be all those things you want me to be. I can't do it all. I can't constantly be this loving person that you're calling me to be. Or you've failed and all your reflections are, how do I go back now? Maybe, you've just, maybe it's as simple as you've taken a few weeks off from your group and you think, I can't go back now. It's so embarrassing. But the great news of the gospel is this church family is not built on your love for one another. It's not even actually built on your love for God. What makes the church family the family of God is not your love for God or your love for one another, but God's love for us. Here's what, Paul, what uh, John says, and Pippi picked this up in Jesus' own words in John 13 as well. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. It's the gospel. See, the church, the church family is built on the gospel, this message of mercy and grace to people who do fail, who do not love perfectly, but who receive a perfect love from God. And that's why we actually call them gospel and prayer groups. Because what binds us together in those groups is not our mutual love for one another or even our mutual love for God, but first and foremost, God's love for us in the gospel. It's an appreciation of that, a realisation of that, a trust in that, a resting in that, that brings us together repeatedly in spite of our failings and what makes us a better family than any other family because this family is founded on grace and forgiveness. You know, I got an email from my kids' school earlier this year. They have a family fun day organised by the PNC. Raises lots of money. It's up at Willoughby Park. Anyway, get this email saying, family fun day is cancelled for this year because not enough parents volunteer. If you want activities like this, you need to sign up. It's a very short, scoldy email. <laughs> and I kind of felt for them. I think it's, it's so difficult being a leader of a volunteer organisation, especially when it's on a user-pay-based system. <laughs> There's no... As a parent, I see little benefit to the Willoughby Fun Day. No offence if anyone's involved in organising it. Right? I'm going I'm to fork out a whole lot of money, the kids are going to go on these trashy rides, and then we're going to be tired on Saturday night. Why would I invest in that, right? This is the, it's user pay. But that's how, all of our, that's how all of our communities work. Not the church, though. Right? The church is a community based on the grace of God, where something is given freely to us first. And I think, ultimately, that is why this family is worth investing in. It's worth returning to. If perhaps you have this deep conviction that I have not loved one another as the God has called me to, that's okay. What makes you a member of God's family? First and foremost, his love for you. So accept his invitation. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace to us, your grace to us which offers to make us like Jesus so that we might share in his true inheritance of eternal life, bringing us into a family that is not just for a moment but is for eternity. And we thank you that this offer is based not on our love for one another or even our love for you first and foremost, but your love for us in Christ. Heavenly Father, fill us with great joy as we come to believe this truth and so shape our church to be more like the family you are making. In Jesus' name, amen.